Today's message, David, a journey through roles. A journey through roles. I think David's life is one that will give us an understanding of our own lives. I'm hoping I can get through this whole thing today. Uh, Based on what I see in front of me, I might not, so this might be a two-part series. The multifaceted roles of David comes with understanding his beginnings. Sometimes your beginnings, if not measured and if not observed, can then pop out later on in your life and you don't know why you're acting the way you're acting, but it has something to do with your childhood. There are things that took place in your life that have caused you to think away whenever trouble or issues present themselves. You have what's called a default. And that default will always go back to that place unless you turn your default over to God. Transformation means that you have been transformed and that transformation will lead you, listen to this, will lead you to a place that you've never knew, known that you had before. You're not able to identify with that place because you've never been there. So when you're transformed, God now puts something that you've never known before, that there is no point of reference. And now you're doing things that were not, are not based on how you did things. So your reaction to turbulence, to an infraction, is now not predicated on what you did before. Because a transformed mind is now doing things according to the one who transformed it. Does that make sense? So what happens in the life of David? We find a series of things. And and those of you who are writing stuff down, you want to write this down. This is very, very, very powerful. We're going to talk today about David as a son. We're going to talk talk about David as a brother. We're going to talk about David as a shepherd. David as a musician, David as a warrior, like this one, David as an outcast, David as a father, and ultimately David as a king. I hope we get through all those because each one has a storyline that is important for our lives. So David as as a son, his early life in Bethlehem. It's interesting that he was born in Bethlehem. He was of the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. For his life was to later on define the birthplace of Jesus the Christ. Bethlehem. We also find that his selection was not based on how great he was but rather how insignificant he was. This is for those who say, not me. Why would God want to pick me? 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to start there. I'll probably read a portion of it, verses 1 through 13. Are we going to follow on here or do I need to be skillful with my hands and the word? I guess I'll just go this then um, if it shows up, it shows up. 
1 Samuel 16. And I'm going to go, let me just go right to the part where I want to get to because I think this is important. Let's go to, let's go to verse 8. Now, just to let you know what's going on, Samuel was told by the Lord to go to the house of Jesse. Jesse being the father of David. He said, go to his house because in his house, the next king is going to be anointed. So Samuel did exactly that. He goes, he follows the voice of the Lord, and the father, and this is how you get to know where things begin. The father is the decision maker in who it is. In other words, let me go to the father to determine the son. So that connection, Samuel went to the father, and of course the father presented each one of the sons based on authority, majority, greater than, whatever oldest to the youngest the bottom line is he had a mindset that was earthly so he went to select a son that would be fitting for him not fitting for God so look at this let's go to um verse what I say verse 8 then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel but Samuel said this is not the one the Lord has chosen Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So I came here to find the next king to anoint them. And none of these are them. Here's the problem. One is missing because one was not invited to be a part of that gathering. The one that's missing is the one that is. If that's not a story for salvation, if that's not a story for those who have been going through stuff all their lives, if that's not a story to encourage you to say, wow, God sees me in the midst of all of this. Look what it says. Then Samuel asks, are these all the sons you have? <laughs> Jesse goes, oh. oh, yeah, there's still one more. But, I, you know, I can imagine Jesse already being discouraged, saying if it's not any of these, then it's not the one that's out in the field. So his response was a response of, yeah, that's still the youngest. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Now, the part of him being dark and handsome and all of that, that's for us. That's not for God. For God saw the heart. And what I said earlier, God saw the heart first. And we're going to find out. Even how bad David was, how he was able to still be the king, the father, the warrior, the musician, all of these things. Look at this. So being chosen by God, says, so as David stood there among his brothers, meaning that they were there with him, 
Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So in other words, in the midst of those who were supposed to be but were not, I have selected you, and I want them to know that you have been selected. I chose you, and I'm going to anoint you. Now you're going to be oily in front of them. Now, back in the days, by the way, I know how we do with these little things of oil, right? We take a little bit of this, right? Put it in our hands. And... Now, back then, you were going to get a shower with oil. The oil was poured on you, and it was all on your face, in your mouth, everywhere. You were left oily. And the thing about it was, it would be known that you were anointed for more than just that day. God is intentional that when he chooses you, he wants people to know that you've been chosen, that you've been selected. You've been the one I have identified in the midst of many. And it's awesome because now there's a, a switch. Because David, being rejected as a son, Understood, and I'm going to come back to this later on, being rejected as a son, that level of rejection still brewed inside of him. There was a root of rejection. If you don't deal with the root of rejection, you will, without wanting to, reject others. That's why when you are not moving in the way you need to move as a father, as a mother, it's not based on what's happening right there in front of you. It's based on things that you've been, the infractions in your life from before that has infiltrated your thoughts and made a nest in your mind. And so what has to happen? If you want nothing else to land there, you've got to get rid of the nest. Continue. So number one, David has a son, rejected, anointed, but rejected. Number two, David has a brother. I find this interesting. We find out what kind of brother he is or how he's dealt with because it wasn't just the rejection of the father. And this is the problem. When a father rejects a son, others, the siblings, will also do the same thing. Somebody said amen. Because the father will set the pace and set the tone where now the children are saying, we could treat him that way too. So David was bullied as a child. Now you're saying, where's that in the word? Let's go there. First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. And we'll just go right to verse 28. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, because by the way, David was sent to give them lunch by his father, Jesse. His brothers were all in the army already. There's some stuff in here that's going to really blow your mind because it's not so clear until you really dive in. Look, it says, but when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What are you doing around here anyway because you're not supposed to be around here? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. All right. 
This is what enemies do. An enemy, and yes, unfortunately, sometimes it could be the closest to you. They will remind you of what you should be doing, and they'll tell you what you should have done, and they'll remind you of the things you did wrong. I know about your pride and your deceit. You should be with the sheep right now. What are you even doing here? But all it takes for God is one moment to change your whole entire life. But that one moment may not be a comfortable moment. You may be rejected in that moment, and that's what God will use to catapult you to your next stage. Y'all haven't caught it yet. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Look at this. We understand that as a brother, his relationship with his siblings was a little off based on what the father set forward. His impact on family dynamics is seen by the way he's being dealt with. And so his retaliation, believe it or not, sometimes the rejection of another is the ingredient you need to be bold. His boldness came because he was being rejected by his siblings. He saw what they did and he said, okay, I got you, but look what I'm going to do. And his boldness was more than just that moment. Look at this. David as a shepherd. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 34. 1734. I want to show you something about David as a shepherd. Look at this. This is David speaking now. He goes, let me start from over here. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Good thing. Not a bad thing. I have been cleaning shoes. Good thing. Not a bad thing. I was selling fish in the fish market. Good thing. Not a bad thing. I was doing the thing that everybody thinks is the least. But the least was what was making me the best. My lack of or the thing that you think is not really prestigious is actually building me into the person I need to be. Oh, you worked at McDonald's? That's good. Because working in McDonald's will show you how to serve. And serving will be part of the ingredient for your future. Oh, you're not hearing me. There are things that God will put you through and every stage means something because it's part of the ingredients of who you are. Or even who you will be. But I, all I do is drive people around. Yeah, that's not all you do. Because if you're driving them around, you may be the voice of counsel for them. Are you taking advantage of that moment? But everybody wants to be a millionaire. No, there are stages. And God will prepare you in every stage. How do you function in the desert before how do you function in the beach? That's just how it works. Every single moment counts. How do you build this? I remember as a child, I would build with Lego. That was very, very creative. I would build. How many, how many ever played with Lego? 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 How many were skillful in building stuff with Lego? How many stayed hours building? Okay, only a couple. All right, amen. Amen. I'll take it, right? I would stay hours building because I would say, this is my world. I'm going to build it the way I want to build it. And I would construct and build. But you know what that did for me? Later on, I had this mind 
that entered into a place of symmetry. I realized that symmetry was important. And I realized that it was part of my process. Even as a child, God prepares. Let's continue. So we find that there were lessons in the field that were also there. What did, what did David say? He said, listen, man, let me tell you what I used to do. I, go after, I, I went after lions with a club. I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. In other words, the little things I did with the animals that were around me was preparing me for the giant I was going to confront. The lions and the bears were practice. And some of you today are going through practice in your situations at home. It's just practice for a future situation. And you're, you're, you're like, oh my God, everything's falling apart. And God is saying, no, it's not falling apart. Actually, I'm giving you the skills necessary to deal with what's coming next. And if it's not for you, it's for somebody else. Somebody else who's not skillful is going to understand from your experience how to deal with the bears and the lions so that in the future, a giant like Goliath wouldn't even phase you. David as a musician. I think I'm moving. I got a good pace going on. By the way, one of the um, psalms that David wrote during his time of being a shepherd because he was, he was a songwriter while he was in the field. Psalms 23. The Lord is my, I shall not. He maketh me too. In the, ooh, Glory. He leads me besides. He what? He restores my. Yeah, though I walk through the what? I shall fear no. This is good. For you are what? My rod and my staff, they what? Oh, I love this one. Thou prepares the table before me in the. Thou anointed my head with. And when that happens and he anoints your head with oil, something takes place. See, there is a process. We want the cup to run its over before the oil on the head. We want the cup to run its over before all the other things that take place. We want the best before everything. And God is saying it is a process. Uber if you got to Uber. Mickey D's if you got a Mickey D's. Do what you got to do because one of these days your cup is going to. Because the anointing or the oil is going to be on what? And then here's the best part because surely what and what will be with you? Surely goodness on one side and mercy on the other side will be with you for just today. Not just today. Not just tomorrow. All the days of your life. And then you know what's next? Because see, God cared about all of that for here and now. And then the only one little part is for later on. He says, and what? And you will dwell in the, for what? That's the part at the end, but everything else was while you were alive. Because once you dwell in his house, there's no sickness, disease. There's nothing you got to worry. You ain't going to fight anything. 
That's the ultimate goal. For even now that we're in life, it is preparation for what's coming next. Ah, praise God. David as a musician. Interesting. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, 14. You're going to see something about that I believe was an exaggeration. Why? Because sometimes when people present you, because of the anointing on your life, they'll see more than what you see. So if you're anointed, if God anointed you, they'll see something that you have yet to see in yourself, even if you're not that yet. And we know this is not the case because he still hasn't met Goliath. He still didn't meet with his brothers. This happened before. Let's read it. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So yes, God can send that spirit to be a part of your gym experience. I know. That's messed up. No, it isn't. Sometimes in a gym, more weight is put on and you can't do it. And it's intended for you not to be able to do it, to try to do it. And if you got a good spotter, the good spotter will make sure you look like you're doing it. And you bring it up and you did it, you did it. No, I did. I did it, but I'm telling you, you did it. Because you want that person to become confident and stronger. Yes. So look at this. It says, some of Saul's servants said to him, listen to this. We already know Saul has an issue. Tormenting spirits. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. They figured it out. Let us find a good musician. I don't know why they thought music was going to soothe, but this is one of the first deliverances we find in the word of God. As a matter of fact, it is the first deliverance. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not a shepherd of sheep, not even his being the youngest, but one of the sons. And then he goes, not only that, he is a brave warrior. How is he a brave warrior? He's not even part of the army yet. Read the word. This is before he even met with. This moment here was the moment when he first gets on the spotlight. Where now, that moment, somebody spoke about him. Somebody's talking about you. Somebody's speaking about you. may think it was nothing that you did, but that one thing you did that was a blessing to someone, that person is speaking about you. And your voice or your word or your name can go all the way to the house of the king. You didn't try to break down the door. You didn't do, you know, juggling act. You didn't do any of that. You did something and somebody saw it. They got blessed and they spoke about you. Somebody say amen. Somebody heard about your exploits and said, let me talk. But then this is an exaggeration because how do you know he's a brave warrior? When all he was was in the field. 
He hadn't gone out yet. This is a prophetic word, right? He's a brave warrior, a man of war. He hadn't gone to war yet. How are you making that assessment and he hadn't gone out to war? A man of war and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord, and more importantly, the Lord is with him. I know God is with him. So we find that he's a musician. You know what he did? He would walk in there. He'd bring in worship. The worship caused those spirits to flee. The worship. That's why when you come to church, enjoy the worship. Allow the worship to filter in. Stop looking to see who's going to do what. Stop looking at how they're dressed. Stop looking at their shoes. Just get into God. And Man, I'm a part of this moment. And the God who loves his redeemed will veer away from the created in heaven to listen to the redeemed here on earth. The God who loves those he has paid the price for. He will go, all right, hold on. You guys sound marvelous to the angels. Y'all are great, but I need to hear my redeemed. And in that moment, whatever's trying to stick to you, that doesn't want to worship. So it has to go. Come on, somebody. That has to leave because the worship is for those who are connected and want to worship the Father. Those things don't want to worship. If worship becomes so strong in the house, those things got to wait for you in the parking lot. Maybe not. Sometimes they wait. I'm just true. Even if you don't want them to. Listen, some of them wait at the house because they know that your conversation home ain't right. That's not everybody now. Easy, easy. But those conversations allow an environment for them to live. Yes, there is literally... There's literally an environment that we can create where those things cannot breathe. So there's no way you can bring that depression that you had when you were at home. You come here, you're like, wow, I feel free, of course. Because we see that the skillful art of being a musician was utilized by God to bring peace to Saul. Because those things were there. Who's hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes at home, you know what you need to do? Just put some worship music on. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Testimony. Because when you do that, you're saying, I want to breathe. I don't want those things to breathe. And listen to this. Even if in your house no one else wants to do it, so what? You put that thing on because in the spiritual realm, it doesn't require decibels. Decibels are not necessary in the spiritual realm. I just yell because I get excited. The truth is some of my deliverances, those of you who have remembered some of the deliverances, I don't, I don't yell because those things don't require decibels. They seek authority. They look at authority. It's the authority that they're looking at. They're not looking at how loud you are, how much you jump up and down, even how much you say Jesus in the name of Jesus. Some of you ain't like that one. That's okay. Listen, you can say the name Jesus so the cows come home. There's no power in the name Jesus unless you understand who Jesus is. I'm telling you what's true. 
I've seen people use the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus! And the person looking at them like, I'm about to tell you a whole story. Because, you know, those demons ain't no stories. I'm going to tell you a whole story. A long time ago, real fast. I remember growing up in Pentecostal church, I got to see this. There was just one guy who, all the youth, they were told to go to the front. We all went to the front. There was this one guy who had extra package or within him. He was, he was not right. He was manifesting. And the pastor called all the ministers to come front to pray for the guy. And all the ministers came out, and they're praying, and they're saying in the name of Jesus. Some of them took flasks of oil, tossed the oil, put oil. They did everything. That thing popped up and looked at one of the guys, one of the ministers, one of the senior ministers, and said, if you do that to me again, I will tell everyone where you were last night. Everybody got silent. How about this one? Not only did everybody get silent, but even those that were there kind of took a step back. Because what we don't realize They may not know the future, but they know present time. And they have a network, and they work in that network. Oh, y'all not hearing me. That's why when you start to master worship, when you understand the power of worship, you put worship in your house. If no one else is a believer and you're the only one who's a believer, put that worship on and start worshiping and praising God. If you're going to use your oil, let it be a little bit of oil over the doorways, whatever you want. But let it be that your purpose is to give God glory. And you're going to see a beautiful exchange. You know why? Because in the market of God, ashes are worth something. So in the market of God, the marketplace of God, your ashes equal beauty. So when you give him ashes, he then gives you beauty for ashes. That's the market of God. So when you're worshiping, you're exchanging. All right, all right, all right. We're moving. We're moving. I see the time. Here we go. The next one here is David as a warrior. This is pretty interesting. Let's go to um, 1 Samuel 17, 41. 1 Samuel 17, 41. As I was reading this, I realized we have always been told that the story of David and Goliath was just David and Goliath. That on the field, it was David who found five smooth stones, saw Goliath, called him a Philistine dog, uncircumcised Philistine, made that public. There was something else going on there. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer or armor bearer ahead of him. I don't know why people missed that part. David was not just confronted by Goliath. He was being confronted by an armor bearer as well. And if you know anything about armor bearers, armor bearers had the same skills as the people they were bearing arms for. They were skillful in fighting. So not only was David looking at 
the warrior, great Goliath, he had somebody else in front of him. So it was more than just one dude. I, I got excited with that one because it showed me how brave he had to be. Not just one big Goliath, but also one powerful armor bearer who was ahead of him. The word makes it clear. He was ahead of him. That means that the first thing David saw was not the big Goliath. He saw the armor bearers or the armor bearer. It could be singular. And he had to step to him first. I don't fear you. I don't fear you either. You and you. But we've always seen that Goliath and David story as just David there and Goliath, this big Goliath. I say that makes it even more intense. Because it was David against the armor bearer and Goliath. And he took, this is the thing, right? You take the head out, the whole body follows. So he attacked the head. And by the way, he didn't kill Goliath with a stone. Let's remove that. Goliath was bewildered. He was knocked out, but he wasn't dead yet. The stone will knock you out, but you better make sure you use the word to chop that head off. Some of us get very satisfied with watching the giant just fall down. And we get excited. Yeah, see, it worked. The giant is down. And your celebration is short-lived because the giant gets back up. Because you didn't take not just any sword, not just any sword, you... David didn't take his sword. David took Goliath's sword. He said, because this is, this, is, this is the art of war in the kingdom. We take what the enemy has and has tried to do. We use his sword that he was going to use to kill us. We pull that thing out, but we make sure he's stunned first. Some of us want to go for the sword right away and get chopped up. Make sure he's stunned first and then pull that sword out, his sword, and use his very sword to chop his very head. The end of Goliath was not when he got knocked out. It was five stones because the five stones represent the fivefold ministries. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Each stone can knock out the giant. But it is the sword of the word. That chops the head off of that giant. Who can say amen? amen? I'm almost done, I promise. Here we go. David as a warrior. Military leadership. Courage. Victory in battle. His victory wasn't because he was favored. His victory was because his assignment was favored. I know he was anointed, but it was the assignment that anointed him. He was anointed for the assignment. Because you know who else was anointed? Come on, let's do this right. Who else was anointed? Saul was anointed. Saul was anointed, but he went out of assignment. And being out of assignment makes you weak. You could be Superman while you're in the assignment. The moment you're out of assignment, kryptonite. Clark Kent. And you're wondering why. Because you left the assignment and the assignment is what's been giving you the power and the favor. Leave the assignment. And if I believe the assignment, I will be a crumb. 
saved with a crumb. It's the assignment that empowers you. It's not the fact that you, because we always go with this thing. Oh, um, a prophet came and spoke to me and told me I was going to be uh, uh, a great man of God, a great woman of God. That's, that's fine. That will apply if you're in the assignment. The application is based on being in the circle of God's influence. Who's hearing what I'm saying? The anointing is activated when you're in the miracle. I say this to people because it's so true. If you are here by way of a miracle, if you're here by way of a miracle, don't leave that miracle because then you become natural again. Watch this, watch this, watch this. That miracle, what took place this year, right? And you've been 10 years within the miracle. If you walk out of the miracle, within those 10 years, after the 10 years, everything that should have happened to you within the 10 years now comes and culminates for that moment. Okay, I'm going to ask this question. How many understood that? Miracle? Miracle? No miracle. That miracle is the bubble of your sustenance. You've been sustained by the miracle. The miracle is the reason why you are alive. The miracle, that liver that had a problem, that liver is sustained by the miracle. That spinal issue you had, that spinal issue was sustained by the miracle. You walk out of the miracle, then those things go back to natural. Did that make more sense? I need you to understand that God, if he sustained you, even in the areas of the smallest things you can think of, God has kept you alive because of the miracle. David has an outcast. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to. I got to wrap it up because the last two are very big. David has a father and David has a king. And I cannot weaken those two because of time. But David as an outcast, I'll get into. Let's go to chapter 19, 1 Samuel 19. We're going to go verses 9 and 10. The power of being an outcast. When you are an outcast, you have to learn how to survive as an outcast. That means the things that you normally would have done, you don't do them because you're an outcast, because you don't have the, all the things prepared for you, so you've got to make things up along the way. What do I mean by that? If you don't have a lighter, and being an outcast means, obviously, you don't have a lighter, you got to figure out how to get fire. So you got to do outcast things. But an outcast thing will allow you to survive in the worst desert. Now you can live in a place where people can't live. Or where people say people can't live. Now your life is, you're able to look at a damaged place and say, boy, that's a beautiful place. You walk in, well, let me say, there are people that you can walk with that have such a vision of things to come, you walk into, and I'll use real estate, you walk into a place and the walls are all broken down and everything's looking horrible and they'll go in and go, wow, this is so beautiful. 
because they see something that others don't see. Their vision is not based on today. Their vision is based on potential, what can be. So their life is always, and you get mad because you're like, well, this, does anything go wrong with this person? Do you see anything messed up? You're walking in, you know, everything's going to be just fine. It's going to be great. We're laid out here. What are you talking about? I see dirt on the ground as an open field for a harvest. Meanwhile, you see dirt on the ground as an empty field for nothing. But an empty field has to be filled. I see people already picking the corn. You see the dirt and you stay there because you don't see what's ahead. An outcast sees that. You, you know, look at this. Do you know that there was a time when David was in a cave? And while he was in that cave, he was with all these ragamuffins, all these outcasts. You know, because outcasts will attract outcasts. Outcasts will attract, attract outcasts. So the outcasts were all together. There were about 30 of them, all in the cave. And something happened because an opportunity will always be presented to you to take out someone dishonorably. And David had an opportunity to take out Saul. He had an opportunity to kill Saul. And he chose not to because the narrative of killing an anointed, if you're anointed, is that you can get killed too. Let me, let me, let me say it again. The narrative of taking out somebody who's anointed, you're just giving them permission to take you out later on. So he didn't do it. But he did take a piece of his mantle. He took a little piece of it and said, look, man, I could have taken you out, but I didn't. I honored you. But then watch this. This is the part that I love. So these 30 men decided to walk going from one place to the other. I forget the place they were going to. But they were going to confront the Philistine army. On their way there, this guy gets on a hill and he sees all of them and he points out and singles out David and says, David, you from the tribe of Judah, you are a dog. And started insulting him publicly in front of his men. Now, the natural order of things is to go over there and beat him down. He was by himself. But that's not what he did. When you are a person of honor, you will wait and you will acknowledge the fact that you were chosen. Everybody say chosen. When you're chosen by God, that means God has to protect what he chose. God, if he chose you, he will shield you because he chose you. So you know what David said? You know, because you always get a couple of really rough people that hang out with you. There's one, one particular one. His name was Abishai. Abishai goes, seriously, to David, to David, seriously. How about you let me chop his head off? Call it a day. Look, there are people that like that. They, they will kill and have no remorse. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can take care of this. You know what David tells him? He says, no. Because the God that chose me 
if he selected me and chose me, then he is being allowed to tell me this because he would have been taken out by him. Oh, come on. David figured out, I know who I am. Everybody say, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I am. And if God chose me, and that dude right there is out of order in God's eyes. And if he's out of order in God's eyes and he's still alive, it's because God wants us to still be alive. We always want to take things in our own hands. That's one of the most proudest moments I was of David. Not some other stuff. which we'll go, we'll go over that next week or something. But that was one of the proudest moments. I could see why he was a man after God's own heart with all of his corruption. Do you realize we read, we read the book of Psalms to ward off individuals that were like him? He wrote it because God gave it to him. And it was, you've heard me say this, it was a love letter from God to God. God chose him as the pen. That's God's business. But at the end of the day, everything we pray about, the things that we, the rejection we have of certain individuals are people who are like David. No, no, we can't let them do this. We can't let them do that. Hold on a second. So we're, we're better than God? In choosing and selecting, I'd rather see someone try to be better than to keep them from doing what they need to do. When we look at the touch from God, we see how in this moment, God shielded David. Saul was out of his mind. There will be somebody out of their mind around your life. They're being out of your mind. Listen, they're being out of their mind around you may not be because of them, but for you. God will protect you. He'll shield you. But keep in mind that at the end of the day, those people that we think are the ones that we want to pray against, God assigned them in your life so that you can be better at this. Saul, verse 10. No, nine. We'll stay with nine. But one day when Saul was sitting at the home with with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit, remember the tormenting spirit from before? It came back again. From the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. This time, he's playing the harp and it comes on him. Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Maybe God is trying to teach you how to veer, how to dodge a spear. Maybe he's trying to show you something. Instead of praying that person away, pray that you learn your lesson in the process. What is God teaching me? Can we do the mirror thing every time? Yeah, I know they messed up. Let me, t- let me take a look at me real fast. What am I doing that stimulates that? I know we don't like to hear that. We don't like that. You know why? Because our desire is to define what is. We want to define 
That must be the reason why. And God is saying, everything I've allowed in your life, if you belong to me, it has been permitted for a reason. Please stand. 